I'd love for you to join me in Luke chapter 12. The hope that is Jesus is going to take on a little bit of a different tone in this portion of his discourse. As you will recall, I've continued to remind Jesus has just completed a dinner with the Pharisees, the religionists. They do not like him. They have begun to be vehement toward him, to attempt to incite him. Ultimately, they will work to crucify Jesus. As he has exited this dinner, he has stepped into a street scene that is overwhelming. So many people that they are trampling upon each other. In this setting, Jesus gives one discourse from Luke 12.1 through Luke 13.9. And we're in a passage now where we will sense the emotional condition of Jesus. He is going to give us incredible insight. He has his little flock of believers out there in the midst of this massive crowd. And he offers what I would term a reality check. It's going to be beneficial for his disciples and this little flock of believers to be reminded of, and certainly it will be for us. Jesus is correcting our vision, as it were, and he has, in my estimation, three different prongs within this portion that he's trying to communicate. In verse 49 of Luke 12, Jesus says something that is striking. It's actually stunning to hear. He says this, I am come to send fire on the earth, and what will I if it be already kindled? I am come to send fire on the earth. Imagine standing in the midst of that crowd. See in your mind's eye Jesus outside of the door communicating to this massive crowd of people and having the strength of heart and bravery to say, I am come to send fire on the earth. If you're a Bible student like I am, your first reaction is probably, wait, what? I am come to send fire. Shortly he will say, I am come to bring division. Fire in the Gospel of Luke is a negative image in the immediate context here. He is speaking explicitly about the coming wrath of God's judgment. The opening phrase, I am come, it's a technical term that Jesus used oftentimes. He's talking about the entirety of His mission, the scope of why He is here. I am come. One of the reasons that I am here, one of, the, one of the portions of my ministry is to send fire and bring division. In Matthew 9, Jesus said this, For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. One of the reasons Jesus said that I'm come, part of the entirety of the scope of my mission is to bring sinners to repentance. Jesus was being questioned by Pilate in John 18, 37. Pilate said, are you a king? Jesus responds, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I unto the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Jesus says yet again, as part of the entirety of the scope of my ministry, my arrival is to bear witness unto the truth. I am come to bring sinners unto repentance. I am come, I'm here to bear witness of the truth. And now in Luke 12, he says, I'm come. Part of my entire mission and ministry is to send fire on the earth. 
This is the other side of Jesus that the lost world does not want to confront. This is the other side of Jesus that even we as believers probably meditate on too infrequently. The other side of Jesus that talks about fire. He's alluding to the final judgment. He is talking about destruction. He is referencing the torment of hell. The world doesn't want to believe that. We live in a world that wants to eliminate absolutes. Oftentimes in the church, we become passive and apathetic and lax in our behavior toward the truth of Scripture or our pursuit of the Lord's will. And even we don't like to think about the fact that we'll answer that someday Jesus will actually return. We know that this attitude is pervasive in the world. Peter said in 2 Peter 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. We are in the last days, prophetically speaking. And Peter says, again, explicitly, understand that within the context of the last days, people will be scoffers about the truth of the Word of God. Specifically, they will scoff at the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again and that judgment from God will one day arrive. Merely by believing in this foundational truth within Scripture, we put ourselves, as it were, on the lunatic fringe. To say that Jesus is coming again. To say that this world will be judged by fire. To say that we will enter eternity with Him, where He will reign forever and ever, is scoffed at by the world. And we're told by Peter to expect that. But he'll come back in three verses and he says this in verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This world that we can see will one day be burnt up with heat. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the new heaven and the new earth will not be under the curse of sin. There will be no sin there. Peter says, grasp that people will scoff at this reality. And the fire that Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 12 is the same fire that Peter is talking about in 2 Peter 3. He's referencing the coming judgment of God. Now perhaps we're left to wonder, how does Jesus feel about the coming judgment of God? When he grasps that the fire of judgment is going to come, what does Jesus think? Jesus said in that verse that I read, in effect, what will I if it be already kindled? I wish, in effect, the fire of judgment would have already taken place so that we could enjoy eternity forever in the new creation with all the redeemed. What would I if the fire... I wish the fire of judgment were already kindled. I wish that this was over. I wish that we were all together already in eternity and that sin had been eradicated, but He is long-suffering. 
He desires that all men come to repentance. That's the heart of Jesus. As John writes in Revelation, his exceptional vision of that which is to come, he offers up this prayer, Even so, come Lord Jesus. I come quickly. Come Lord Jesus. There is within the heart of every Christian, there is within the heart of every believer, a default setting that should be looking with anticipation and longing for the coming of Jesus Christ. But specifically in this moment, Jesus is talking about fiery judgment. And he says, in effect, I wish it were already here. It hasn't been kindled yet. Jesus promises that it will arrive. I reference the contradiction in our thinking. I am come to send fire. That doesn't sound like something that Jesus would say. I'm come to bring division. That doesn't sound like something that Jesus would say. And he knows our hearts and he addresses the seeming contradiction. In verse 51, Jesus says, Suppose ye, is this what you're thinking, that I am come to give peace on earth? I tell you, nay, But rather division, that's a very precise statement. That is truly shattering to the Jewish expectation, which would have been a massive portion of the audience that was gathered around Jesus. Historically speaking, the 72nd Psalm would tell us that when the Messiah came, He would reign. There would be righteousness and an abundance of peace. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, He sings out, he proclaims a prophecy before Jesus is born. One portion of it is in Luke 1, 78. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the expectation. He will reign in peace. That's what the history books, the prophets told us. Zacharias prophesies he'll guide our feet in peace. Jesus would often tell believers to go in peace in the upper room. Hours before the cross, he's comforting the troubled disciples. He says this to them in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Paul would write the believers at Ephesus and he would say this. He, speaking of Jesus, came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. In Colossians he said, having made peace, speaking of Jesus through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Peace, peace, peace. Over and again. We know the Christmas story. We remember that Isaiah gave him one of his eternal names, the Prince of Peace. What is it that Jesus is articulating when he says, Did you suppose, did you think that I came to bring peace? Nay, but rather I came to bring division. I am come to send fire on the earth. This is seemingly contradictory. We have to understand what Jesus is saying. Certainly, there was every reason to anticipate that the arrival of the Messiah would bring a time of national peace. 
But what they failed to realize is that Jesus came to bring peace for those who were at enmity, the enemy of God. God in His holiness was at enmity with man in man's sinfulness. And Jesus, as the lone mediator between God and man, came to bring peace. The fact is, there will be peace when Jesus is enthroned. But first, there must be fiery judgment. Emphatically, Jesus says, no, I tell you, I came to bring division because you have rejected the Prince of Peace. There will be no kingdom of peace until there is salvation in the heart. So in place of that peace comes division. Do you comprehend that no one can be neutral toward Jesus? You are either with or you are against To use the proper preposition from with the New Testament, you are either in Christ or you are against Christ. No one can be neutral concerning Jesus. Jesus is in effect saying, all of human history will be divided by me and the moment of division is soon arriving, it's the crucifixion. I am come, says Jesus, to send fire and bring division. Then he says something else in verse 50. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Do you notice the exclamation point at the end of that? That is the emphasis that Jesus is giving. I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how I am straightened until it be accomplished. Now again, let's just take a step back as students of the Bible. You're probably scratching your head. Number one, we've had a seeming contradiction. I've come to send fire and bring division. And now Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And we're thinking, wait We were there, in effect, with the eyewitness gospel accounts. You were baptized by John the Baptist down at the Jordan River. I can even remember the conversation when John said, I should be baptized by you, not you by me. And you told him, no, this is the right thing. And you both came up out of the water and there were doves and the Holy Spirit and the voice of God. It was all there. I saw the baptism. What is Jesus talking about in this moment? I have a baptism to be baptized with. What Jesus is talking about is a baptism of fire. Yes, he's been baptized with water. He is referencing a baptism of divine judgment. Now stop for a second. Ask this. Why did Jesus choose to use that Greek word, baptizo, to immerse? What is he getting at? One wrote this. Jesus was getting at the reality that the fire of the Father's wrath would not merely touch him and harm him a little bit or singe his hair, but rather he would be immersed in it. He would be inundated by it and swallowed up by it because all of God's wrath poured out on every one of his people for their sin, rather coming on him. Looking at the cross, another said, it's the most vicious expression of divine wrath that we find anywhere in Scripture. It's real fire. It's real divine judgment. Jesus is saying, and we have to stick right to the discourse. I am come to send fire on the earth 
And in effect, I wish it was already kindled. Did you think that I came to bring peace? No, no, I tell you, but rather division. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and oh, I am straightened until it is accomplished and it is over. Jesus is in effect saying, I've got to endure the cross I have to carry the sins of all humanity and I can't wait to get it over with. I can't wait to cry from the cross. It's finished. It's done. No more. One Greek theologian said, in effect, the idea is how I am totally governed by this until it be finally accomplished. The word straightened carries the idea of impatient misery that drenches his soul. Literally, the word straightened is communicating, holding it together. Jesus is holding it together until he is immersed in the fiery judgment of God on the cross. He is straightened in his bowels. He is impatiently enduring this coming misery as he navigates life and ministry with perfect candor. Jesus says to us, the cross dominates my thinking. This shatters the spiritual falsehood that we can never admit that we're going through hardship. This shatters the falsehood that we can never admit that we are fighting off, fending off discouragement. Spiritual people are not perfect people, unbothered by any situation. Jesus lets us in. Can you sense what Jesus is allowing us to hear in this moment? He wishes the fire of judgment were already kindled so that we could be together for eternity. He longs for the cross, in effect, to be in the rearview mirror. I'm straightened until this is accomplished. This is dominating my thinking. He's bearing his soul. He knows he's going to be immersed in our sin. Think about that. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24 that he will bear in his body all of our sin. Isaiah says prophetically, all our iniquity will be placed on him. John in 1 John 2.2 says he will have in his body the sins of the whole world at one time. Have you ever been sick before? I'm not good at being sick. Are you good at being sick? Sometimes, because I'm, what's the term? Psychotic, that's the term. I can get the slightest illness and I'm pretty much assured that it means impending death. No matter what it is. I can have a headache and my thought is, it's been in the same place the last two times I have a headache. That is probably a brain tumor. I just walk around the house and start saying my goodbyes. I have a headache, that's it. That's it. I love you all, I hope you love me, I've done my best. I'm going to go up to the room. If it gets quiet for a couple of days, come check on me. Call 911. Little sickness wipes me out. Can you fathom, just illustratively, if you had to, in one moment of time, take on the illness in your body of everyone that was in this room and feel all of the aches and all of the pains and all of the fears, in one moment you had to have my flu and her headache and their bad knee and bear it all at one time, it would devastate 
Grasp the reality that Jesus Christ is holy, He is righteous, He is utterly untainted, unstained, unblemished by sin. Never has a wrong thought crossed the mind of Jesus Christ. Never has a corruptive word ever come out of His mouth. Never has the wrong action ever been carried out by Jesus. He is utterly and completely righteous. He is holy. And in this time on the cross, He will take all the sin of the whole world on his body everything that we are disgusted by every dad who has abused his child in a drunken rage every kid who has been trafficked across the border Every alley of a major city that is covered in filth with people who are literally gone on drugs. Every violent murder that's ever been carried out by stabbing or gunshot or merely by the strength of human hands. Jesus, who never sinned, bore in his body in that instant every wicked, vile sin that has ever been committed. Can you fathom when he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the sin that Jesus has on him and anticipating the crucifixion. He says, I am straightened until this is accomplished. I'm holding it together until this is dominating my thinking. In John chapter 12, after the triumphal entrance, Jesus in John 12 will say this, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. In the garden, Jesus is praying. Luke 22 says he's praying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not My will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is the insight that Jesus is giving. This doesn't wait until the Garden of Gethsemane. It's on him now in Luke 12. I'm straightened until this be accomplished. He says to his disciples within earshot, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. Part of the entirety of the scope of my mission is for this moment. In the garden, he's sweating as it were great drops of blood. Hebrews tells us it was through strong crying and tears. He is pleading, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. At any moment, Jesus could have walked off the set and left us to our own devices. At any moment, Jesus could have raised the white flag and gone back into the presence of his Father, yet mercifully he stayed. It's absolutely overwhelming to grasp on the cross, having become sin for us. He cried out with a loud voice, It is is finished. Can you imagine the triumph in that shout, it is finished. One said he longed to bring the fire on the earth. 
He wished the fire was already kindled, but first he had to undergo the baptism of death on the cross, immersed in our sins and immersed in the judgment of God. He couldn't wait to get it done. Jesus charged headlong to the cross. As another wrote, Jesus raced to save us. That's some of the most humbling and sobering scripture you can read. Because I don't mean this to defeat your self-esteem. We're not worth it. Everything that I've ever done does not validate Jesus Christ sinlessly leaving heaven and bearing my sin in His body and paying a debt that belonged to me. It's incredible mercy. It's amazing love. Jesus is delivering this mandate. I am come to send fire and bring division. And I wish the fire was already kindled. But first, I have a baptism that I must be baptized with. And I am straightened until that is accomplished. And last, Jesus has a message to deliver. Verse 52. For from henceforth, there shall be five in one house divided. There, Three against two and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son and the son against the father. The mother against the daughter and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. From henceforth, from now on, Jesus makes it clear, over me you will be divided. No one can be neutral on Jesus in Christ and with Christ, or you are against Christ. And Jesus is he's setting the expectation of His little flock of believers, and He's saying to them, get this, my presence brings division, and the great moment of division is the crucifixion, and you must set your expectation to recognize people will be against you because of Me. Today, one wrote in many countries around the world, Becoming a Christian is illegal. In some country, family members conspire with the government to expose a believer. And that becomes for the Christian a death sentence. Now for you and I, it's not a death sentence. But it might mean family disapproval. Get this. It is only a matter of time before Jesus Christ and your Christianity brings division. The question is, are you ready for that. Are you ready for the hostility toward your stand for Jesus Christ? Are you ready for the isolation toward your belief in Jesus Christ? Are you ready for the assault and the attack verbally or otherwise for standing on the truth of Scripture? Jesus did not come to tell people that all paths lead to God. Jesus did not come to tell people that what you believe doesn't matter. Jesus did not believe that all people are good and that all people are already on their way to heaven. Jesus did not say you can do whatever you want to do. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And the audacity and the bravery to stand in that crowd of people who could have trampled the disciples. He said, I'm come to send fire and to bring division. But first, there is a baptism that I must be baptized with. I wish the fire was already kindled and I long for this crucifixion to occur. But I have to tell you, division is coming because of me. Are you prepared to stand? Then Jesus corrects the outsiders. 
He says in verse 54, When you see a cloud rise out of the west, when you see a cloud come out from the Mediterranean Sea, straightway, immediately you say, There cometh a shower, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, that's wind coming up out of the desert, you say, There will be heat, and it cometh to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that ye do not discern this time? You can look at the Mediterranean Sea and say a rainstorm's coming and it comes. You can feel the heat from the south wind coming up out of the desert. You can say it's going to be a hot one and it's a hot one. You hypocrites, you religionists, how can you discern the weather but you cannot tell these are the last days that I am the promised Messiah, that I am the Prince of Peace. How do you not get it? He might be saying to the believers that were there, how do you not sense the urgency of this hour? You can forecast the stock market, kind of. You can forecast the weather, kind of. How hypocritical is it to be able to forecast these things and not live in the light of the coming judgment of God and the urgency of the hour? He'll continue on in verse 57. Yay! And why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last might." Now that might be a little bit confusing to us. Just stay right with Jesus. I am come to send fire. And what would I if it were already kindled? Did you think that I was sent here to bring peace? No. No, I tell you, but rather division. And that fire is certainly on its way. But first, I have a baptism to be baptized with. I must be immersed in sin of all mankind and the wrath and the judgment of God. And I am holding it together until that be accomplished. And I'm looking at you massive crowd of people. And I see that you can tell the weather from the Mediterranean and the wind from the desert, but you cannot ascertain the preciousness and the pressure and the urgency of this moment now. Judgment is coming. In fact, here's his illustration. Not a one of you wants to go to prison. And if you were at odds with another person and you were both walking together to the magistrate... On your way to the magistrate, before you stood before the judge, it would do you good to try to broker peace and to come to a settlement on the way to the judge. So that you don't stand before the judge, and once you're before the judge, you are found guilty, handed to the officer who places you into the prison, and you're not leaving until you pay the last mite. And the mite, that coin, is the smallest coin. You're going to have to pay every red cent. And what we know to be true is this, not one of us can pay the debt of our sin. And what Jesus is saying then is this, make Peace. 
Come to a settlement on the way to the judge. Don't get to the judge and have this case tried and be found guilty to the officer and to the prison to pay a debt you'll never be able to pay off. He's referencing the torment of hell for eternity. It's a stunning thing that Jesus is articulating. Talking about the great white throne, the final judgment of all unbelieving. You'll never get out. Your only hope is to prevent your case from going before the judge to settle your debt. The only way to settle your sin debt is through Christ. Verse 58 can be understood as to be set free, to be delivered. How do you settle your sin debt with God? Through Jesus. God loves you. And you're a sinner. And sin must be paid for. And God in His love sent Jesus to pay that sin debt for us. That's the stunning fact. When He shouted, it is finished on the cross. It is a legal term that Jesus shouted out. It's paid. I've covered the debt. And what Jesus is saying as He stands before this crowd is exactly that. Fire is on its way. I wish it were already kindled. Peace ultimately will be the outcome of my ministry and arrival. And you can have peace in your heart. I can broker that between you and a holy God. But until you confess your sins, you are at enmity with God. I bring division. Are you prepared to stand? I have a baptism to be baptized with. He lets us into his emotional state, his innermost thoughts. How am I straightened until this be accomplished? You hypocrites can tell the weather. You can forecast it. But you can't sense the urgency of this hour. He's pleading. Not one of you wants to go to prison. Broker peace. Come to a settlement on your way to the judge. And what he is saying in this is amazing. All of this is about him. He's the way to peace. When he shouted out, it is finished, he's saying, I paid your debt. It's over. It's good. It's clear. You don't have to stand before the judge. I will pay it for you. You can sense Jesus is ramping up the urgency as he nears the cross. Peter and James and John, they're all sitting here listening to this. Massive crowd of people yet undecided about him as the Messiah. They're listening to this. You and I sitting here now, we're listening to this. This is the teaching of Jesus. Would you please just for a moment bow your heads with me and close your eyes. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.